Good morning, everyone. Good morning, all visionaries. And welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November 3rd, 2019. The share ID numbers for Friday, November 1st are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 13,603. That's 13603. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 13,605. That's 13605. This morning, A Vision for You presents Getting Food Sober with Entire Abstinence. The doctor's opinion is the foundation of the whole book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and of the entire program. This section may simply seem to be a helpful introductory note, but without it, the entire book doesn't make sense. The big book's approach to step one is what Dr. William Silkworth, the doctor who wrote the two letters found in the doctor's opinion, called the double whammy. Put simply, we have an allergy of the body, which means that once we start eating certain kinds of foods or indulging in certain substances, in certain compulsive eating behaviors, we develop cravings which overpower us. And we have a mental obsession, which means that even if we stop eating those foods and engaging in those eating behaviors, our mind persuades us that we can return to eating those foods all over again and again and again and again. Hence the urgency and necessity of the 12-step process. An essential part of the very, very beginning of the recovery process is the separation from our binge foods and being honest about both past and present binge foods and eating behaviors. This is the very first part of our recovery process. We call it putting down the food. Dr. Silkworth states, of course an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. We, in Overeaters Anonymous, must do the same. We have to stop our craving, and the only way is to stop eating the foods that cause our cravings. We must be as sober with food as an alcoholic is with alcohol. Let me repeat that. We must be as sober with food as an alcoholic is with alcohol. There can be no compromises, no middle ground. The doctor's opinion refers to this as entire abstinence. Otherwise, the phenomenon of craving is triggered and we are condemned to eat again and again and again and again. We have to stop our craving And the only way to stop the craving is to stop eating the foods that cause this craving. We also have to stop the eating behaviors that cause our cravings. So how do we go about this process? Yes, you're right. It's easier for an alcoholic to identify the substance that causes their allergy. For the alcoholic, it's alcohol in any form. But for the compulsive overeater, we can differ in the kinds of substances and eating behaviors that trigger these phenomenon of craving. Joining us today are three recovered compulsive overeaters who will share their personal experience with getting food sober with entire abstinence. This morning, our panelists are the following. 
Lisa B. from South Carolina, Kelly S. from Oklahoma, and Leslie W. from Tennessee. So let's get started right now by welcoming Lisa B. to the line. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Can you hear me okay? I hear you well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your service. Um, my name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina, and we do have a few other Lisa B's out there, so my name is L-E-S-A. It's just spelled a little different. Um, I wanted to share a line in the big book and how it works on page 66. It says, but with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience. And that that's the whole purpose, you know, of putting the food down. If I'm a real compulsive overeater of the type that this big book describes, a hopeless type, that's my only hope is um, the growth and maintenance of a spiritual experience. And I can't run into the arms of my loving higher power when I have my fists with full of, you know, all of my stuff. I've got to put everything down. And I went to treatment center in March of 1987 because I could not stop compulsively eating I had gone from restricting when I was in college where I became emaciated my mother said I looked like a prisoner of war when I came home to visit her on the weekend and after college um, I experienced uh, binge cycles where I could not stop binge eating and it was very frightening for me and with a good insurance plan that I was under with my dad and at that time you know, the insurance covered all of the wonderful stay. I had a great treatment center. Um, I did go on a food plan in this treatment center, but, you know, they might have told me something that I'm going to share with you now, but I did not hear it. I did not understand that the mind of a compulsive overeater is the worst aspect of this illness, that once that allergy is addressed with a, a good food plan, which I was blessed to have been given a food plan that was based on a book written by an author, and it, it uh, really addressed all of my alcoholic foods, but I did not have that sense of urgency that the longer that that food is down and I don't have any addressing of the spiritual malady and my mind, I'm going to pick up that food. So... Um, that's what happened to me. I was in abstinence only for a number of years, five years, white knuckle abstinence, but I minimized it. Um, I didn't have a lot of weight at all. I, I really not had a weight issue with this illness, but that's just a, that's just a yet because I really do believe there's a 300, 500 pound person inside of me. I was underweight when I went in there and I was underweight when I was led to a vision for you. Um, but I have also been overweight, but not much, maybe five or eight pounds, because I was also addicted to compulsive cardio exercise and a, a restrictor. But the restricting would always lead to a binge, always lead to a binge. So as a child, um, I craved sweet foods, starchy foods. I loved our potatoes, scallop potato casserole dish that my mother would make. I loved raw cookie dough, you know, honey all of that stuff. And I would go through the pantries and the refrigerator looking for those things and eating them. I would steal candy on the way to school in the morning. Um, I also suffered with low blood sugar, hypoglycemic. Um, when I got into high school, I discovered with a binge buddy of mine 
the combination of sweet and salty foods. Um, my mother said to me when I was maybe in eighth grade, you better go out and ride the bicycle a little bit more. You're starting to get a little bit pudgy. My father was also obsessed with his weight and compulsively exercised, so I kind of grew up in an environment where everyone was very aware of how they looked. Um, and as I said, when I got into college, I did go into the restricting mode where I became emaciated. I'd never been, I never purged yet. I know that's another yet waiting for me, but I purged with exercise. And I would purge with juice fasts. Um, I was miserable inside. You know, I was in a panic. I knew that this was not going to go away. And when that uncontrollable binge started happening after college, that was just frightening. I didn't even taste the food anymore. I mean, I was taking food out of the garbage. I was eating burnt food. I was eating food that wasn't defrosted. Um, when I say taking it out of the garbage, you know, I'd have all my goods that I'd eat, get sick on it, put it in the garbage, and then go out, you know, go into the garbage and dig it out. Um, a few times I would take it out into the dumpster at my apartment complex, and I honestly, I swear it was only a matter of time before I would begin dumpster diving, but that had not happened yet. Um, so I went into treatment, got a food plan, which really saved my life, and uh, did not get into the steps. So I just want to read something in the doctor's opinion. I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but it's on page XXVI, and it's two things on this page that Bill says. He says, um, in this statement, he confirms but we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. I must. People say there are no musts. You know, that's, that's a must here. I must believe that, that it's not only the allergy of the body that I have, but my mind, my mind is, is abnormal. And then he says on that same page, more often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he then has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. So I became a member. I started listening to A Vision for You in October of 2015, and I was intrigued. I just could not believe what I was hearing on this line. <clears throat> there was happiness. There was freedom. I did not believe you could really recover from this illness. I thought people were lying when they say they recovered. You know, it's like another co-fellow says, you want me to be abstinent morning, noon, and night? You have got to be kidding me. And one of the first people I spoke to on this line shared that she had been abstinent and recovered for 10 years. I mean, that blew my mind. How have you been doing it for 10 years? I want to take people's heads off, you know, when I have some abstinence. I mean, I want to put my fist through the wall. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. The thing that this big book promises is that I won't want to do it when I go through this work, but I must do it in abstinence. So I introduced myself as a newcomer in January of 2016. My life changed that day. It truly changed. The doors opened up for me to freedom from that day. And one of the people that called me became my big book guide. And, you know, all the other people that were calling me were saying to me, you have to have someone take you through the doctor's opinion. And I was like, what is it they're talking about, the doctor's opinion? Why do I need to go through the doctor's opinion? I had never gone through the doctor's opinion and studied it. And I've been in AA for decades. <clears throat> but anyways, um, she took me through this doctor's opinion, and I did it in entire abstinence, starting in abstinence. 
I had not had my binge foods in, in volumes or in portions or behaviors, to the best of my understanding, for about two days. And we went through this big book. And I was able to begin to understand and accept what you have to offer me in this book. And that's where things began to happen for me. So some of the notes that I have written out, um, it's really about understanding that the 12 steps is going to treat my mind and that I need to have a desperation to get recovered. That it's not about the food. You know, it's not about the food unless it's about the food. And she said to me, I really encourage you, as she had done, is to get a professional to make a food plan for me. And I did. I went to a, a dietitian or nutritionist that is familiar with working with compulsive overeaters. She's not going to say to me, well, you need to learn to not be so afraid of the food or, you know, freeze half of the dessert. You need to learn to control it and have some of the cookies. You know, she didn't say any of that. I went to a person that's familiar with working with compulsive overeaters and my big book guide, my sponsor said, Lisa, that's going to be your prescription. You don't waver from it. It needs to have clear boundaries, you know, and, and guidelines. And this person created a food plan for me based on my current age, my weight, my activity level, my health concerns, and I was a restrictor. And she helped me see this dietitian that, you know, you can't do that. You've got to follow the food plan. That means eating what is on the food plan, not restricting and not overeating. Restricting always would lead to overeating for me. But I don't restrict and I don't overeat. And I got recovered. I started working with her in January of 2016. I got recovered in April of 2016. And by God's grace, I've been recovered since. I haven't eaten compulsively. And um, I follow that food plan. So, you know, in abstinence and being recovered, I've had a lot of new awarenesses, new like beverages, liquids. I had to look at the liquids, um, coffee, caffeine, you know, it says here in, in the doctor's opinion, now for me, this is just my own experience. Not everyone has this. Not everyone has to do it. But it's, it's uh, what really has helped me. It says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Well, that's what caffeine started to do for me. And I wasn't binging on caffeine and coffee. First, I looked at what I'm putting in the coffee. You know, it was high-fat milk. Okay, I won't do that anymore. I don't do artificial sweeteners because my body can't tell the difference between sugar and artificial sweeteners. So I wasn't doing that. First, I thought it was the fat in the milk. Then I went to almond milk, and that doesn't have high fat. I was still doing it. Then I tried just tea, you know, no more coffee because the milk products, and I don't like black coffee. So then I tried the tea. And, you know, there are some questions I need to ask myself when looking at what my alcoholic foods are. Am I trying to control and moderate it? Am I negotiating? Am I, you know, saying, well, I'll only do it once a week. I'll only do it every other week. That's what I was doing. And it was just one cup of coffee, one cup of coffee. It wasn't even a huge cup of coffee. But it was the whole experience around the coffee that I became obsessed with. I started looking forward to that one day. 
And I realized, oh, my gosh, I've got to put this down. I did many 10 steps on it, and I saw I need to surrender this. So I surrendered caffeine of all kinds, even decaf, and I surrendered coffee. And you know what? My access to my higher power opened up. The serenity increased. The payoff was amazing. So it's also worth it for me. Um, Let's see. What else did I want to share about here? I'm looking at my my timer. Um, I've ne- I have needed to do 10 steps on high-fat foods. And, you know, that, that's been such a gift for me to share with other fellows that know me, to share with my nutritionist, and to really look at what, what am I doing with my food? Am I being really honest? I have to have an honest, clean abstinence because, as I read in the beginning, but for the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, that curtain comes down, the blinders come on. I get numb and foggy in my head. And they could be harmless food items that just have that effect on me. And that's why... That's why I love being recovered and having clarity because then when sudden, and I needed to have entire abstinence to get to that point and go through all the steps in abstinence, working with someone has, that has done this work so that when that fogginess comes on, when I eat something, I'll know because I've experienced, you know, the, the sweet nectar, like someone said in a meeting the other day, of clarity and being recovered and having that closeness. I can feel that that veil come down. And that's what I started experiencing. I have other food allergies that my nutritionist helps me with that are not regarding alcoholic foods. And so sometimes I'm limited on things that I am able to eat. So she suggested a food item for me, tahini, to start to incorporate. And I did not binge. I just weighed and measured it. But the fat, the darn fat on it was so, created such an effect for me that, you know what, I would have 10 jars of this tahini in my pantry just in case, God forbid, I run out. That's always a sign for me when I'm stocking it up on it, you know. And when I'm looking forward to it, it becomes way too important, way too meaningful that um, I needed to do 10 steps on it and I surrendered it. And then once again, that sweet nectar of serenity and more closeness and connection and freedom and peace, you know, is there once again. Um, Okay, the other thing I wanted to share that's really helped me is treating this as the same, with the same seriousness that a drug addict does and a heroin addict. Um, So I have notes written here. Um, Okay, on page XXIX, the doctor's opinion, it says, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. Treating it with the same seriousness as a drug addict um, and an alcoholic has enabled me to to follow these few simple rules, not perfectly, but to the very best of my ability with clarity of mind. Um, And now that desire to want to do these things has gone. So I wanted to talk about triggers for me. You know what? I was doing some praying and meditating over the last day or so about this talk, and it occurred to me that my biggest trigger is emotional upset. Getting emotionally upset, I get triggered for food. And I need to do 10 steps regularly, like all through the day. That's my walking around step. I don't wait till my nightly review 
to do a 10-step. You know, I do it all through the day, the moment I'm disturbed. And yesterday, I was driving a distance for her appointment, and suddenly the thought of a hot fudge Sunday popped into my mind. I thought, what? what is that about? And, you know, I haven't had that in a very, very long time. And I've been current with my 10 steps. But I'm going through a lot of changes right now with schedule. This talk was a big anxiety-producing thing, which I've been doing 10 steps on this. Um, Just a lot of things. The upcoming convention. Oh, there's my time. Let me turn it off. But um, I did time myself. And I apologize that I did not get to say everything I wanted to say, but I'm glad I got to throw in there about triggers. And I think it went perfectly because I gave it to God. I asked God to speak through me. So I'm excited to hear the other panelists, and I pass. Thank you so much, Lisa B., for sharing your experience with all of us. And now I introduce panelist number two, Kelly S. from Oklahoma. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Leah. This is Kelly S. from Oklahoma, and like Lisa, my name's spelled different, as you guys know, E-Y. So um, grateful, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, and bulimic. And um, so that was funny, uh, is it odd or is it God? Um, I was, I've been reading the acceptance uh, was the answer uh, story in the back of the book, one I know we all know. And there was a, a paragraph in there on page 416 that really spoke to me and it said it helped me a great deal to become convinced that alcoholism was a disease not a moral issue that I had been drinking as a result of a compulsion even though I had not been aware of the compulsion at the time and that sobriety was not a matter of willpower so you know just real quick little brief history about me especially for any newcomers on the line so uh, I'm well, I'll be 57 at the birth at our uh, convention. In case you guys want to see me and wish me happy birthday, I'll be 57. I came in the rooms uh, originally when I was 16, and have been around pretty much in and out, hanging around since I was 20. Um, and what I did not understand this entire time, 30 something years, was this program was about a spiritual malady, and we need a spiritual solution. You know, I've been around OA for, and there's been a lot of changes, right? So. I thought abstinence was the goal. You know, it was one of our tools for a long time. Um, And so it was just a tool, you know, and I'm just going to be abstinent. And that was all I ever did. And unlike people's stories that I heard, because I'm unique uh, and just sure this wasn't going to work for me, I couldn't get a year together. You know, um, the previous speaker shared she had some years and people on the line. I couldn't even put together one year in 30-something years. Yes, I've lost my weight. So I've been overweight most of my life, but um, I'm bulimic. So I've been underweight, 20 pounds underweight, and I've been – my last relapse, I got uh, to almost 300 pounds binging and purging because I had to eat. I had to eat. So, you know, in and around these rooms, I've been all over the place, right? And all I wanted to do was be abstinent. And, you know, uh, when Leah started this, she said, you know, the doctor's opinion was a foundation for the whole program. And I'm like, what? You know, I've been hearing that from you guys. I listened to Vision for two years obsessively, and that didn't fix me. I just want to let you guys know that. But it got me ready to do the work, so I'm grateful I did listen. Um, And so the foundation for the whole program, why? Because I have to buy into the fact that I'm the real compulsive overeater 
that this big book is talking about. Otherwise, I am not going to do the work. I am not going to do all this work. I'm not going to do the steps that is, that is necessary for the vital spiritual experience so that I don't go back. And so that was my problem. I realized when I got honest with myself that I did not understand this doctor's opinion. I did not consider myself the real, I would say it, I'd give verbiage to it, right? But I still had that lurking reservation. You know, I would still get sloppy with my food. You know, I heard the other day in a meeting, somebody said, well, I know I need to get better on my, my abstinence because, um, I mean, I'm staying away from trigger foods, but I'm still playing around. What does that mean? You're a little bit drunk? That's the games I used to play. If I said that to an alcoholic, okay, I don't drink whiskey, that was my thing, but I'm drinking light beer, so I'm okay. No, the big book has made it clear that I have to put down my foods. There are no gray areas. I'm either abstinent or I'm not. And so, you know, first of all, I had to decide, am I real, the real compulsive overeater? And the big book gives us, you know, some different defini- definitions. I mean, in their solution, there's a couple different pages. But just for time, because <clears throat> I'm limited here, I just want to tell you guys a quick, easy way to find out on We Agnostics on page 44. So if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. Well, that's me. And if that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So, you know, that's pretty much answered my question. So now, if I am the real alcoholic, the real compulsive overeater, why do I have to put it down? <clears throat> so in the big book, in the doctor's opinion, I'm going to tell you some places that I started. I had to go in here and really study this book. And on XXVI, it says, we're talking about Dr. Silkworth saying here, um, in his statement, he confirms that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must, and there's one of our must, believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. And a little further down, <clears throat> it says, <clears throat> sorry, Oklahoma allergies. But we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. Hang on. <clears throat> sorry, guys. <clears throat> the doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. A little bit further down, it explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. And then on XXVII, you're going to flip the page. We believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifest, manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average tempered drinker. These allergic types, and I underline this, can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Go over to the next page. After they have succumbed, wait, let's go down. Uh, You know, Lisa read this part or talked about this part about, you know, we get irritable, restless, discontent, and we need that sense of ease and comfort. And that's what food did did to me. So I wasn't going to read that. This is after they have succumbed to that desire again, 
as so many do, which is what I did, the phenomenon of craving develops and they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over. And unless the person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. And so there's going to be one more page here. Flip over to XXX. So down here in the bottom, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. And this is underlined for me. The only re-relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So that right there is why I have to put it down because of this phenomenon of craving. This feeling when I start eating, it just intensifies. It's never satisfied. I for sure, when I came in, was just sure I just wanted to eat. I loved food. Okay, you guys had a feelings problem, whatever. I had a food problem. I just loved eating. So why, then why was I shoveling in food? You know, yeah, that first bite or two, you get that, ah, you know, I like it, the Pink Floyd comfortably numb, ah, because it was definitely my drug that I had to, you know, I could have shot it in my veins if I could have. And I, you know, I just was sure I love to eat, but then I start shoveling in. I'm buying mass quantities of food. I'm digging things out of the trash. I'm, I'm doing crazy crap. You guys know it all. So I don't even need to go into the insanity that we did, that I did, I should say. But, you know, after that, I'm trying to satisfy this thing that I cannot satisfy. And I did not understand it because I did not understand the doctor's opinion. So uh, the doctor's opinion makes it clear in five places that I know of that we have to put this down. And I can't be a little bit absent at working these steps because why? I'm blocked. This food, you know, my disease, my dis-ease blocks me from my higher power. And so, you know, my abstinence, what I didn't understand, is just the beginning. It is what I heard a speaker say, my ticket in the door. It is my ticket in the door. It's my ticket to work the steps. So, oh, I'm abstinent. Here's my ticket. Get busy, right? So until I do that, Working the steps, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get the vital spiritual experience. I may have a spiritual experience, but I have to have a deep and effective one that these steps promise, and I can't do that if I'm just a little bit – well, it didn't work for me, and the big book and this doctor's opinion is making it clear that it's, if you really want – if I wanted what this program was offering, then I had to put the food down and black and white. So I'm just going to tell you real quick the five places I know that the doctor's opinion makes it clear that we have to put it down. XXVI, it says, um, the bottom of the page, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. And then over on XV, XXVII, next page over, of course an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for alcohol. And then XXX, which I read before, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And the last two examples I know is right there on XXXI, those page over, is the two stories he gives about these two guys. Um, and in about the middle, it says, following the elimination of alcohol, he accepted the plan outlined in the book. So first he gets sober, right? Then he accepts the plan outlined in the book, and that is the steps which we already know, well, we don't know if you're new, 
is the greater aspect of the disease. The steps are what are going to help that. Step one, you know, this uh, putting down the food is the physical allergy. You know, we have that double whammy, physical allergy and a mental obsession. The steps are going to give us the mental, help us with the mental obsession. So down a little bit further on the next story, um, he says, following his physical rehabilitation. What does that mean? He gets sober. I have to get abstinent. If you just flip the page, then he was sold on the ideas contained in this book. So both of these guys, these miracles that this doctor shares about, first they get sober, then they accepted the plan in this book, which means I had to get busy working the steps. So that was the stuff out of the big book. And what I want to tell you guys with my abstinence is, you know, I'd been around and I messed around with my abstinence for so many years that I pretty much knew my basic trigger foods. And so I kind of want to differentiate the difference in abstinence and food plans. So abstinence is the OA says is their um, definition, the act of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. So what does that mean? I have to decide what are those foods, those ingredients, those behaviors that set up that phenomenon of craving for me. What, what gives me that ease and comfort? You know, I pretty much knew some of my basic trigger foods. Um, I had a, I listened to a speaker one time and I wrote these four questions down and Lisa kind of said, um, the four questions were, which foods do I run to first for comfort? Which foods do I try to control? And this was one that was good for me. Is there a food that I'm substituting for a food I really want? And that means like for me, kind of protein bars or natural things. It's like, I'm trying to find something that I think this is safe on my food plan. You know, because I really want maybe something that I know I'm not supposed to have, but I think this would, you know, am I trying to figure out how to make baked French fries um, because I really want French fries or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading a lot of ingredients. I'm trying to look for food that might substitute for that food I really want. And the other question was, which foods do I constantly negotiate or barter or maybe even grieve over? And, um, you know, I hear people talk about red, yellow, and green. So... I think the red, yellow, and green, this is my opinion, is just for me to figure out my foods. I don't, um, so red, okay, I absolutely know these are foods I can't eat. For me, sugar, sugars, I can't have that. I knew that. Those were my things. Those are my binge foods. Oh, my God, I knew that. Uh, yellow, I'm confused. I don't, I don't know. It seems like sometimes I can have them. Um, those are those foods I have that delusion. Maybe I can control and enjoy them. I don't know. Green, I know I could, I, I have no problem with those. You know, I know, you know, I'm good with those. Um, so yellow for me is just to sort it out, you know, because I'm not really sure. Um, it's not that, so to me, if I'm eating my, I'm eating yellow foods, yellow foods are those foods that I'm like, Ooh, this is kind of setting something up for me. Then I put that on my red list immediately. And, you know, that's happened for me in this four and a half years that I have of recovered abstinence. Um, and examples, <laughs> so I know some people who can eat, um, baked or whatever you want to call it, air popped popcorn, or they had that smart popcorn. Well, on my food plan, okay, let me go back a little bit. So we know what abstinence is, is I have to decide those foods, those ingredients, and those behaviors that set up that phenomenon of craving. I have to ask myself those questions. I have to look at that. I have to be honest with my sponsor, and, and I have to know. And no matter what, it's black and white. There's no gray. If I get into those foods or those behaviors, I am not abstinent. That's it. Now, what's my food plan? My food plan is my limits and my boundaries around those foods that I eat. And that changes, you know, as we age, as our activity level changes, you know, maybe I never did anything, maybe I'm going to run a marathon or, you know, I'm going through menopause. 
pretend I'm old enough to do that. Just kidding, because I am. But um, <clears throat> those are something that, you know, we're going to go to a doctor nutritionist based on, on, on all those things, that we're going to have limits and boundaries around those. And um, so though, that's the difference for abstinence and a food plan. So, um, okay, so food plan. So I know people that have their food plan and they can do this popcorn, this smart popcorn, whatever. Um, and if I look at the ingredients, it's all safe. And it's on my nutritionist thing, right? Because my, my nutritionist gives me a thing. So I decided a while back I was going to have that. And, oh, my God, this was only a couple months ago. I'm eating that little bag of popcorn that I committed, uh, that was been weighed and measured, right? And um, uh, if seriously, guys, there was a part of me that wanted to open, rip open that bag and lick it. So I'm thinking, yeah, this is not good. You know, I wasn't willing to eat that again because this is the truth. Today, I realize abstinence is no longer the goal. I did not like that crazy feeling that gave me. I want, I don't want to be blocked today. So, you know, I, you know, I immediately put that on my red, red food. I can't have this smart popcorn that other people can have, you know, and, and as the previous speaker, you know, everybody's got different things. That's, I heard a speaker share, we're blessed and um, cursed in this program because we don't all have the same things. We all don't have the same behaviors. One of my behaviors is quantity. So how does quantity um, uh, set me up for this? How does that get a phenomenon of craving? Well, so even if it doesn't set me up, you know what it does? It gives me that, okay, I'm okay. I just need more. I need more. I need more. Today I'm learning to be okay with enough. So, you know, I think, you know, in wrapping up here real quick, so I know I'm running out of time. The thing I want to share with you guys in my experience is abstinence is not the goal. Again, it's a ticket in the door. But why I have to put this down? Because today I want the spiritual experience. I want to live happy, joyous, and free. I want to be abstinent for years with neutrality. And I don't want to be the guy coming out of the cellar, you know, yelling at my family, kicking the dog, all that stuff. You know, I want to live a spiritual life today. And I'm so grateful that by listening to Vision for You, this healthy OA meeting, I got the message today that I put down the food, black and white, 100%, so that I can get busy working the steps, so I can have the deep, effective spiritual experience this program promises in step 12, I have to do the daily work so that I don't have the need to go back to the compulsive overeating behaviors. And for today, four and a half years later, I'm grateful to be in that place and so grateful. Thank you, Leah, for asking me to share. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kelly S., for sharing your personal experience with all of us. And now I introduce panelist number three, Leslie W. from Tennessee. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you, Leah. Thank you for asking me to be a part of this special edition today. Um, I'm honored to be of service. And I'm Leslie W. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Tennessee. And Kelly mentioned the the uh, quote on the doctor's opinion on page XXX, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And I really wanted to focus my uh, time today to talk to the newcomer who may be listening. You know, when I first came into Overeaters Anonymous, um, nearly, oh my God, I can't believe it's been 10 years, but it has, almost 10 years, um, there was a lot of talk um, that I didn't understand. There was a lot of recovery talk that I didn't understand. 
Um, I simply wanted someone to tell me how to stop eating so much. That's really all I cared about. You know, I I just thought that I had a food problem. I didn't think I had a, a spiritual problem. And so it was a lot of information thrown at me all at once. And so what I'm going to do today is just is just give a, give out some specific examples of what happened to me and what my journey has been like in hopes that you can identify in. Um, in the doctor's opinion of the big book, on page XXVIII, I think it's the second paragraph, or maybe it's the first paragraph. And Kelly mentioned this one as well. Once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. So that's what was happening to me, was that my problems began to pile up on me. Um, it really did not take me long to form this habit of compulsively overeating. And it happened after the birth of my first child and the trauma that my body experienced. I was in a lot of physical and emotional pain, and I turned to food for relief. Um, I liked this. It gave me, it, you know, it, it happened instantly. I could get a few moments of ease, which brings me to my next quote, also in the doctor's opinion, on the same page, XXXVIII. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. I ate because I liked the effect that it produced. You know, I thought to myself, what could be the problem? It's only food. I grew up in a household, um, in a family of compulsive overeaters. So a lot of these things, a lot of these foods, a lot of these habits, let's say, um, were normal to me. I mean, I, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think. It was abnormal. So I didn't care. I didn't really care about the consequences of what I was doing. I just wanted that relief. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the truth from the fault. And that's doctor's opinion, same page, XXVIII. And that was really true for me. The sensation of that relief was so elusive that after a while, I really couldn't tell the difference between the true and the false, reality or fantasy. When I was eating, everything seemed right with the world. I wanted that feeling to stay, and I didn't want it to stop. The fantasy world I created for myself while I was eating became my reality. So much so that it wasn't long before I could not string one hour together without picking up the food. So I'd like to list some of my compulsive behaviors. So the one that was really big for me was night eating. And, and you know, I feel like the behaviors were almost harder for me to put down than the actual foods themselves, the foods themselves. The night eating was a big one. When the, when the house was quiet, that's when my mind would race. And the only way I could calm it down was with food. And I called it me time. The time when all my obligations and responsibilities had been fulfilled. No one was needing anything from me, asking anything from me. I could just eat my way into the night on my sofa with my TV. If I happened to wake up during the night for any reason, food was how I got myself back to sleep. 
and this went on and on and on. I can recall eating when I was barely even awake, like it was a bad nightmare. I thought if no one saw me doing it, it didn't count. Grazing was another one. This one was perhaps the most elusive and seemingly harmless behavior. I mean, what's the wrong? What's, what's wrong with a little nibble here and there? I mean, someone would bring over a plate of yeast rolls or brownies, and all day long I would just do a drive-by, grab a bite or two, grab a bite or two. And then a little while later, another, until almost, almost all of it was gone. But of course I would always leave one, you know, because I'm a polite, compulsive overeater. And after all, if I didn't eat all of it, then somehow that just made me feel better because, you know, it was still, I still left a little bit of it there for you. <sighs> Crazy, right? Um, eating off my kids' plates was another one. I could not stand it to waste food. I didn't, really didn't care enough about myself to, to actually fix my own healthy meal. I was just, I, I always just said that I was too tired. It was just easier to eat what they had. I couldn't let that food just be thrown away, so I became a human garbage can. Another one, eating in front of the TV. This was by far the hardest one for me to put down next to night eating. Food and TV went hand in hand for me like peanut butter and jelly. I could not do one without the other. Without the other, I couldn't eat without watching TV because it was boring. I mean, he wants to just sit and eat without being entertained at the same time. And I couldn't watch TV without eating because I needed something to do with my hands and my mouth. Nothing was more satisfying to me than my favorite foods combined with my favorite TV shows. I lived for it. That was all I looked forward to in my disease. Just leave me alone with my food and my TV and don't dare bother me. From the moment I wake, woke up in the morning, my goal was just to make it until nap time when my little one would go to sleep and I could watch TV and eat. Then my next goal was just to make it till my husband got home so I could shove the baby in his arms and I could watch TV and eat. And round and round it went. Let's move on to trigger foods. Sugar. This was an easy one for me to identify because I knew I had a problem with sugar from the start. This, for, for me, this included things like cake, ice cream, cookies, all the sweet stuff. That was my number one. Next was flour. I just put white flour on my abstinence list in the beginning. It was rolls, tortillas, bread, pizzas. It... <laughs> In the beginning, I thought it was just the combination of these two ingredients which triggered me. So I was still having them separately, which is, which is it's nuts, but that's what I did. I thought, oh, as long as I'm not eating foods that have both sugar and flour in them, then I'm okay. But it's okay for me to eat them separately. Um, no, that didn't work. I also tried almond flour, wheat flour, etc. But now I abstain from all forms of flour. Peanut butter. Oh, I had a love affair with some peanut butter. Okay, so in the beginning, I only wanted to believe that it was peanut butter which caused the problem for me. So I experimented with almond butter, butter with or without sugar, natural sugar, cashew butter, almond, um, almond butter, I mentioned that one, and sunflower butter. My poor husband would be so confused. I'd be bringing home every type of peanut butter you could buy. He said, I thought you weren't supposed to have that anymore. I'm like, oh, shut up. No, this is different. I can have this. In the end, all forms of nut butter had to go. Caffeine and artificial sweeteners. So these two ingredients have been the last to go for me. About two years ago, I noticed that I was drinking about a lot of coffee. And I found myself saying things like, if I don't have it, I can't make it through my day. I can't keep up with my kids. And I couldn't drink coffee without my stevia or Splenda and my creamer. So 
All day long, I would be on a buzz from the artificial sweeteners and the caffeine, and I didn't know if it was creating the phenomenon of craving for me until my sponsor gave me the challenge to go without it for three days. I thought, whatever, I got this. I could not make up my, I could not make it through the first day without visions of Starbucks dancing in my head. I could not get my mind off of it, and that's why I had to put it down, because I felt like I couldn't live without it. Some methods that I have tried, Metifast. I did that after my second baby was born, working with a trainer, studying nutrition, going on paleo organic diets, all natural, intuitive eating. This was when I went to a a nutritionist in town. Uh, I live in Knoxville, Tennessee, and she gave me this book about intuitive eating. So um, that almost killed me. Calorie counting and studying diet books. That that stuff that has been going on been going on um, uh, mostly in the last two decades. I'm 40 years old, and that has been going on at least um, at least for 20 years. Uh, so I definitely had these tendencies early on, but um, it just did not manifest for me. I did not see the consequences of it until I hit my 30s. So. Um, I've been going to OA since 2010, but it wasn't until I came to Vision that I heard talks about entire abstinence and understood what that meant. I started listening to Vision in 2016 and got abstinent and recovered that year. But then in 2017, um, I realized that I needed more structure and discipline. So I began to weigh and measure and work a more structured program. I began to commit my food daily and speaking with a sponsor daily. I follow a food plan, and I do not deviate from it. I've lost 60 pounds and have kept it off for several years now. I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak today and to share my journey. I really hope that some of you have been able to identify with some of the things that I've shared today. I'm so grateful, uh, Leah, that you gave me this opportunity. And uh, with that, I think I'm going to pass to open it up for questions. So thanks again. Thank you so much, Leslie W., for sharing your personal experience with us this morning. Today's Share ID, 13,610. That's 13610 for today's Share ID. Contact information for our panelists this morning will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. We will now transition to question and answer segment. You can pose a question to our panelists by pressing star 1 to unmute. I'll need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Katie G. from Boston. Paula N. Ginger C. Okay. Madeline T. Jacqueline S. Jacqueline S. This is who I have thus far. Katie G. Paula N. Ginger C, Madeline T, Jacqueline S. Anyone else at this time? Mindy R. Mindy R. Thank you. Christina L. Christina L. Tamara C. Tamara C. Carol B. Oh no. Carol. Okay, that's a good list. Just keep in mind these are not, our panelists are not medical professionals, so keep your questions broader 
than specific medical issues, and uh, I think it'll be most helpful for the entire group. Okay, everybody mute, please. Katie G, you're up. Hello, Leah. Thank you for your service, my beloved uh, sisters. Great to hear each and every one of you. Um, just was hoping um, for the benefit of all of us. Um, I'm hearing bulimia and restricting. Um, I'm, I'm hoping I could hear a little bit more about that, about identifying um, bulimic behaviors or ingredients um, and how those might set off the phenomenon of craving because we are in a program of Overeaters Anonymous, so it was really confusing for me at the beginning. And then what the difference is in working on that list with your sponsor versus a dietitian, with someone in whom the problem has been solved versus someone who's putting together a food plan for you. And thank you. Which panelists would like to address Katie's question? Well, I can. Um, this is Kelly. Yeah, and go ahead. I, I kind of feel like I did um, address the second question because, to me, um, my abstinence, you know, uh, the act of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, that's what I'm going to do with my sponsor, where I'm going to sit down with my sponsor and go through those questions, the red light, green light, yellow light thing about which foods um, are my trigger foods, which ingredients, which behaviors. I'm going to sit down with my sponsor and discuss that. Um, and that's my abstinence, my food plan I get with my nutritionist or doctor, and that's the person that's going to just put limits and boundaries around that. Um, like they're going to tell me what, how many portions for my age, um, you know, how, how often I'm going to eat if I need, based on like I work 12-hour shifts, that I, my food plan change with that. Um, they don't know. My nutritionist does not understand what my trigger foods are. So, you know, like with one people sharing, you know, maybe somebody can have nut butter. I cannot have nut butter. But my nutritionist will put that on there. But I have to get honest with my sponsor because I know with my absence, when I sat with my sponsor, I know my trigger foods. You know, so my, my nutritionist doesn't know that. They don't know what my behaviors are. They don't know that because they don't understand. You know, there is no way. I don't care if they say they're – there's, you know, to me, there's no real person that's an OA nutritionist. You know, there's people we all sh tend to use, but nobody's going to understand this disease like the other compulsive overeater. So I have to have my abstinence defined with my sponsor, and then my doctor nutritionist are just going to put the limits and boundaries around that, and then I have to be honest about what my true trigger foods and behaviors are. And I'm <clears throat> not really sure the question on the bulimia thing because for me, you know, I binged and purged um, uh, and and restricted and stuff. But to me, trigger foods set me up because it's kind of that thing of, for me as a bulimic, you know, once I start eating um, any of my trigger foods or ingredients or get into that behavior, I want to eat more. So if if I'm going to have a little, I'm not a grazer. So if I'm going to eat, if I if I don't if I don't abstain from those foods, then I am all or nothing. Once I go, I'm going to binge. Until I can't eat anymore, I'm going to purge, and then I'm going to hopefully restrict. But you know, it depends on how bad my disease is. If I continue to binge, purge, binge, purge, but um, to me, abstinence is the same um, whether I'm a compulsive overeater or binger. So, you know, as far as behaviors for me, uh, most of my behaviors were um, uh, quantities. Uh, also, you know, I can't eat between meals. I have a structured food plan of when I eat and when I don't. Um, 
I also have to um, commit my exercise. Um, so that's all I have on that. Pass. Thank you, Katie G, for the question. Paula N., your turn. With a Hi, my name is Paula N. Mm -hmm. um, my question is for Leslie. Uh, it's about um, this kind of you kind of described me, and I was wondering what do you what did you do to keep your hands busy after you gave up the food, and why do you think you have to do something as you're watching TV? I'm not saying I mean it's like because I feel the same way. It's like what am I going to do? <laughs> That's my question. Yeah. Okay. So let me just make sure I have the question right. So um, you're asking, what did I do to replace that once I stopped? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the TV was a hard one. Whew, that was a really, really hard one to let go of. Um, you know, uh, I'll be honest with you. What I did was I sat down and I put some earbuds in my ears and I pumped as much recovery into my brain listening to these special editions, listening to meetings, listening to podcasts while I was eating. I couldn't handle the quiet. To be honest with you, I still don't like the quiet. That TV's off and my earbuds are on, pumping, recovery. I hear Kim G, I hear Leah, I hear Melanie, I hear Larry, I hear Harlan, I hear all those people in my ear. Um, and that helped me get through it. So, so can I? So you gave up the TV? <laughs> no, no, no. I still oh, oh, watch okay. TV. I just don't oh, eat okay. while I watch TV okay. anymore. Okay. I don't do right. those things. Uh, uh no, girl. I also got okay. to watch The Bachelor. But you know, okay. it's just I don't. I don't do those things together. That's what I'm saying. Those, okay. for some reason, that that combo triggered me. So do you do anything now as you're watching TV with your hands to keep you busy? I don't. Okay, that's what I was curious about. Nope, I don't. Thank I you. mean, some people knit, some people do other things, but I don't do that. I just, I just sit and watch TV. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. Sure. Thanks, Paula N., for your question. Ginger C., star one to unmute. Hi, good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service. This is Ginger C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And ladies, thank you so much. What a powerful Sunday special edition. I just love the panels and these different voices that we get to hear. And um, the one takeaway that I really heard strongly through, I think all of you, um, were behaviors that were coming out. And I just wrote a list down, restricting, over-exercising, overeating, night eating, grazing, picking at my food television, body dysmorphia, mares, pinching my fat, and scales. And those are some that I just added hearing other speakers. But it's a piece that I don't think we hear enough about, and especially scales. You know, that number's always wrong, but that number is my God. So where is my reliance in these behaviors and these modes? And as much as allergy is absolutely vital, entire abstinence has to be in place for anything to happen, what behaviors am I continuing in? So I'm just curious what your take is, and I, this question's open to any panelist, but you know, these behaviors, how are they affecting my recovery and are, am I setting myself up? So um, this is Lisa B, and I just wanna make sure I understood the question. Um, 
are you asking, do I still have some behaviors today that I'm struggling with that are not being recovered? Like, can you clarify the question? I'm just saying more like the power of the behaviors as much as the power of the allergy and how that phenomenon of craving gets set up once I take that first bite, clear. Um, but possibly these behaviors that I'm dismissing, I, I just, the more I'm working okay. with, it's like a place that I'm really tapping into as much as the entire abstinence is highlighted, what behaviors am I playing around with that could possibly, I don't eat in cars. I've been through so many fast food restaurants. I lived in the car and ate and binged my brains out. I don't have that association in place for my recovery to protect. So I guess just the power of the behaviors as much as the allergy. Okay. Well, I'd like to answer a little bit. And um, I used to binge in cars also, but, you know, I do eat my lunch in my car today because I have to with my work. Um, and I don't have any problem with it at all. Um, but, you know, there is, it's wonderful to be totally neutral. And I have neutrality today. And I look at the tense that promises. Um, I have been restored to sanity. And... Uh, there is total peace that I have. And when there's not peace, I know it because for the most part I have peace. And it's just this glaring discomfort that I feel that I know something is off. Um, so a behavior for me that could be a problem would be when I'm preparing my salad and I'm cutting up an item to put in my salad to start to put it in my mouth. You know, and that that bothers me. Licking spoons, licking forks and knives, that bothers me. And I will call and share it with a fellow when I do that. Um, that that's something that I don't want to be doing. Uh, let's see. Sometimes if I'm eating my food and it's all my weighed and measured food and it just feels so filling, that bothers me. I don't like to feel super full. The thing is I used to love to feel super full. Um, but now I don't want to feel super full. So I will call and share that with another. Um, I guess you could say it's a 10 step that I'm sharing because I'm disturbed. Another thing that I didn't get to touch on were liquids. I know I talked about coffee and caffeine, but sometimes I can be obsessed with liquids, like filling up on liquid, drinking. That's why I had to get off of all tea. I became like this connoisseur of teas. You know, and I had every tea that you can imagine that I became compulsive about it always needing to have, even if it's just hot lemon water, like, what am I doing? Why am I drinking so much hot lemon water? Or why am I just drinking so much? Because it's that full feeling. So that's a behavior I've had to look at. But I share it with another in a 10-step. I pray about it. And I experience neutrality and peace, and I get guidance. But I can't rule out all old behaviors because I have to eat in my car often just the way my work is and my day is um, and I don't have any problem or it triggers me because I'm eating my abstinent weight and measured meal. When I travel, I commit my food faithfully. That really helps me a lot. I don't commit my food anymore. I did in my first year. Um, I do weigh and measure my food at home all the time. I don't when I go out. I'm still looking at it when I go on vacation. It hasn't been a problem because I'm in constant contact with a fellow in committing my food. I, I think it's just the neutrality and peace and the connection I have with my higher power that goes with me everywhere that helps me. Um, so with that, I pass. Thanks, Ginger C., for the question. Madeline T., star one to unmute. 
Good morning. This is Madeline Kuhn, Virginia. And thank you, everybody, for bringing the remarkable unity of this program into this forum. I've loved everything I've heard this morning. I do have a question. I was hoping if, if it's okay to ask each of the panelists to uh, maybe give a succinct answer to it. And the question is, when you hear or use the phrase spiritual malady, what primary belief about it comes to your mind? And maybe, Leslie, if you're willing, maybe what would you say to a newcomer if they asked you, what does that mean? And, and, and thank you for letting me ask the question. Okay, um, this is Leslie, I'll answer that. Um, what primary condition comes to mind when, I'm, when I hear the phrase spiritual malady? I think that was your question. Um, well, for me, I, what comes to mind is when I'm in the food and when I'm eating, overeating, I'm not a bulimic. I'm not an anorexic. I'm just a regular, good old-fashioned, compulsive overeater. But for me, that phrase means, God, I don't trust you. I'm sticking my middle finger up at him, and I'm saying, screw you. You're not going to take care of me the way I want or the way that I need. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to take care of myself. So I'm going to eat. So for me, that's what it means. Thank you, Leslie. This is Kelly. Could I answer that real quick? Yeah, Kelly, go right ahead. Um, for me, what that means, of course, we, you know, I now know I was spiritually blocked, but what it meant begin with was my inability <clears throat> to handle life on life's terms without turning to something else for ease and comfort you know food is definitely my thing but I've done drugs alcohol sex spending you name it I was never able to handle life on life's terms without turning to something else and so food wasn't my problem Drugs, alcohol wasn't my problem. Living was my problem. That was my spiritual malady. I had no idea how to do life, how to get through it without trying to fix it by numbing myself out with something else. And so my spiritual solution is I'm learning to get unblocked and not have to turn to those things and do life on life's terms or God's terms as I'm learning, um, which isn't easy, but that's what that meant for me. Pass. This is Lisa B. I'll answer it. Uh, the spiritual malady to me is restless, irritable, and discontent. And I was that way from a very young age as a child. I just could not get comfortable in my own skin. I could not feel comfortable. I felt just frustrated and irritable. And I would have moments of happiness, but just I could not figure this thing out about being here on planet Earth. And um, that's the spiritual malady. It just was a emptiness, a hole inside of me. And uh, it's now I know it's a God-shaped hole, but that, that's the spiritual malady for me, just that rid, restless, irritable, and discontent. I hope that helps. And it's a great question. I pass. Yes, thank you for the question, Madeline T. Jacqueline S., your turn.
star one to unmute Jacqueline S. Okay. Hello? Yes, I hear you. Okay. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, thank you for your service. And uh, my question is for Leslie. And um, incidentally, uh, thank you for everybody who's been sharing and asking. I relate to more than I thought I did. Um, so uh, I, about artificial sweeteners in the coffee, um, I'm wondering how you, how you actually did that moment to moment. Um, as I as I tuned in, uh, I, uh, I I just finished my breakfast and I was about to have that coffee with froth, with my froth milk and artificial sweetener and right now I can't tell you how much I just wanted to hang up and have that and I'm in that in the moment and I want to know how you did that uh, and also the uh, um, the, dealing with that withdrawal, even on a moment to... Anyway, um, if you could tell me more about that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, it sucked. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It sucked. But the good news is I had a structure in place. I had a sponsor. I had fellows who knew that I was trying to get off of it, and they were very supportive and they gave me a lot of assistance. Um, I was on the phone a lot. Um, I avoided Starbucks like the plague. Um, for me, it was just like the, the con I, I somehow I equated that with like so many other things. Um, you know, sitting out on the front porch, you know, looking out at the scenery, having my cup of coffee, coffee you know hashtag you know whatever like it was it was it just was this image that I had conjured up in my head I had romanticized it and it was like an escape for me and so I had to go cold turkey I did not wean myself off of it I just stopped drinking it any any and all forms of caffeine altogether because I just I knew that if I was going to try, I knew that weaning was not going to work for me. I either had to, I just had to just cut it cold turkey. Um, I tried to avoid um, deep conversations with my husband. Um, you know, I, I, I tried to like do other things to kind of protect myself during, it was really, it was really just three or four days, maybe a week tops so that, that I was the sweeteners as well. It was maybe a week top, you know, that I was really feeling uncomfortable about to crawl out of my skin. I took a lot of hot baths. I took a lot of walks. I was on the phone a lot with people who knew that I was getting off of that stuff. And I was just really honest about how I felt. You know, people would call me and I'd, I'd, I'd be like, I feel crappy, you know. Um, but I knew that I could get through it because I knew that my God was more powerful than that. I had developed a relationship at that point, and I knew that 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 if I could get off of those other things, that I knew that I could do this too. So with his help, I was able to do it. So um, I would just encourage you to to put a structure in place and to let people, let your strong people know that that that's what you're doing if you decide if you feel so led. Okay, thank you very much. And um, the other thing is having to 
and like you said about entertaining, um, to eat without any stimulus, be it reading, television. Okay, I went from the TV, but it substituted with something else. It almost seems like, uh, uh, yeah, how did that also eat that cold turkey as well? Um, you mean with the television? How did I stop doing that? Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I did that, and then I found myself like picking up a piece of paper and reading. But oh, I see. You said you would, you you listened to. Yeah, uh, I did substitute into, it. Yeah, okay. I substituted it with recovery. Recovery. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Jacqueline S. Okay. Thank you. Mindy R. Your turn. Star one to unmute Mindy R. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I hear you, Mindy. Okay. Hi, thank you, everybody, for your shares this morning. Um, my question would be to um, anyone who's struggling or newcomer, how would you even suggest to those um, that are having trouble even getting started or putting down their their uh, binge foods and staying abstinent for that period where, you know, everyone says, you just got to hang in there, you just got to hang in there. And how would you suggest even have the willingness to even do it? Thanks. My name is Lisa. I can address that. Can you hear me, Leah? Yes, Lisa. Go right ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there are some wonderful podcasts on the Vision for You website under special editions. And um, a few of them talk about getting plans in place of what we need to do. And I think Kelly talked about it. Um, it doesn't have to take a long time to get recovered, to go through the big book. So I, I share that with them. But I also share the, the frightening thought that I had before I came to Vision, and that is the awareness that I could live to be 100 years old and never get recovered, that I could actually still just keep functioning, even though I'm not really functioning. I'm dead inside. And that was so scary for me. So um, the fact that there is a solution that really works that was so inspiring, and I felt tremendous amount of hope with that, that it really does work. It is a solution that works 100% of the time when we work it 100%, you know. And it starts with that entire abstinence. And that was kind of, I know this sounds strange, but it was kind of exciting for me because I realized I had never done it with entire abstinence. I always was negotiating something. I would put sugar down, but then still have volume or um, just all kinds of crazy things, you know, addicted to food plans, thinking that the food plan is the issue. Um, so anyways, there's, there's three plans that we can do. We can get a sponsor, ask that sponsor, have they done all the 12 steps in entire abstinence? Have they had that spiritual awakening and are they neutral around food? And then ask them how long they project it'll take me to go through the, the work with them so I know you know how long is it going to take it doesn't have to take a long time and then um, getting a plan in place for people to call we don't pick up the food but we we can pick up the phone you know we can listen to vision for you I too had the earbuds in my ear all the time listening to it listening to podcasts calling other recovered fellows taking from people that have a message to carry and then eventually calling newcomers and learning how to be useful, even though I wasn't yet recovered, doing those things. Um, and it can happen quickly, but it's not easy 
it can be uncomfortable in the beginning, but it gets easier. And then we start to get an effect from the steps. And I share that with them. But once we're in entire abstinence, you know, eventually those cravings do go away. But of course, like what we hear on this line, um, I was told I'll feel better when I get abstinence. You know, I'm going to feel anger better. I'm going to feel frustration better. I felt all of those things better. So I want to do it quickly. I mean, quickly. It, it really doesn't have to take a long time. Um, with that, I pass. Thank you, Mindy R., for your question. Christina L., star one to unmute. Good morning. This is Christina L. Thank you all for your service. Um, I got so much from this, and it was a really perfect timing, too. Um, I forgot what the topic was today, and um, there was a couple of things that I heard. One, um, Lisa, you had talked about... um, doing a 10 step around the food. So I wanted to hear what that looked like. Um, And then because this morning, like it was perfect timing, you know, my head seems to be spinning about this fruit that I had for breakfast. And, um, you know, I don't know if I'm negotiating or if I'm just being getting into my restrictive behavior. It's like I can't quite tell what's going on. Um, So I wanted to hear more about that. Thanks. Well, this is Lisa. Um, before you mute, I just wanted to ask you, what step are you on now? I have completed the steps. Um, so I'm working with a, spon- uh, a sponsee. Um, okay. And, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'll share with you. Well, you know, I follow, I have a food plan that I follow and I don't deviate from it. So um, it's, I know exactly what I'm eating. I know the, everything, the portions and from the food groups and everything. So, so um, if suddenly I'm eating something and it's disturbing me, like it tastes way too good, I, I'll call a fellow and share that. I'll say, you know, I'm disturbed. And I was taught that a resentment is anything that I'm replaying again and again. So I'll let them know that I'm disturbed and I pray about it. Well, first of all, I ask God to remove it and I pray about it. And I ask for clarity and guidance. And, you know, usually if there's something around the food, there's something emotionally going on. So I'm assuming what you were eating was was part of your abstinence and a part of your food plan. But sometimes things that I eat regularly, they can just become way too, like someone else says on the line, way too sexy, you know, just way too, too something. Um, so I will talk about it. I, I share, you know, I felt that it was too tasty or I'm, I'm starting to want to have it all the time. So my reliance is now no longer on my higher power. It's like wanting to get an effect from the food. And that's the other thing my sponsor taught me. I need to let go of the idea of having a carnival, a fiesta in my mouth. You know, that food is nourishment. It's fuel. That's it. You know, and the same with the behaviors, you know, it's just me eating for fuel. But I'm not really clear on what your example was because for me, if it's on my food plan and it's not a yellow light food, because I don't eat yellow light foods at all, um, I, I don't quite understand it, but I call and I share it with a recovered fellow and I do put it in the structure of a 10 step that I'm disturbed. And, um, you know, I just try my best to see where my character defects are. I just, for right now, I just can't come up with an example of, of that. Um, but maybe one of the other fellows that were on the panel 
do, and I'd love to hear what they say. And you can also call me, you know, at the end of the meeting, we'll give our numbers, and if you want to reach out then, I'd love to talk to you one-on-one. But I'll pass and see if someone else has something. Thank you, Lisa. Any of the other panelists, Kelly or Leslie, like to address the question as well? Okay, I'll take that as a not now, perhaps. Um, I encourage you, Christina Eldis, you know, reach out to the panelists, uh, other panelists, to respond to that question one-on-one. Okay, Tamara C., star one to unmute, your turn for a question. Good morning. It's Tamara C. in South Carolina. Thank you all so much for your shares. Um, I have gotten so much out of this meeting, um, mainly because I don't I don't feel like I hear a lot about restricting, and so it's very helpful for me to hear um, about restricting. And um, uh, Lisa, you shared a lot that you know told my story in many ways, and I wanted to hear a little bit more about abstinence in. Um, exercise and restricting in general, what that looks like. Uh, where do you commit, where do you find, uh, you know, who you're committing your ex- exercise to and things? So. Okay, well, that's a great question. Um, so much of my background is like the restricting, you know, mode when I um, was out there in college and then when I got out of college, I started compulsively binging, but I would do heavy cardio exercise to try and maintain and then I would get hooked on studying food plans you know like I would just study 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 every possible new way of eating like someone listed paleo and I was a vegetarian for 10 years and although all of my vegetarian foods were binge foods for me um, so today you know I'm in a very different place because I had a, a major challenge I had a heart I had to get open heart surgery with a heart problem and um, I had a lot of problems that came as a result of that. So now I do have a very regimented exercise program, not high cardio, but just to build strength and muscle because I, lo- I had a lot of that muscle atrophy because of what happened with my heart. Um, so I don't commit my exercise. I don't. I, I haven't had a problem compulsively exercising because I can't. I wish I could compulsively. Well, not really, because I don't want to compulsively do anything, because ultimately that would block me from my higher power. But because of what happened with my muscles and the heart condition, I'm not able to do high cardio, which is a blessing, really and truly. If I were able to do high cardio, I would be committing it because that would be like a trigger for me. Of it would bring on a, a lot of stuff but um i don't do compulsive cardio at all and i have a doctor that i work with with my exercise and people that are trained specifically to work with someone that has my condition i do commit my food and i follow my food plan i have a wonderful working relationship with my nutritionist and like someone else said she has things on my food plan that are alcoholic 
and bad for me, I don't have those. I'm the one that is crystal clear on what my my abstinence is because there is a difference between abstinence and a food plan. And when I met her, she wanted me to gain weight. And I was it was hard and it was scary and I didn't want to do it, but I want to get recovered and I want to have that spiritual awakening. And anything I'm holding on to like that is going to block me from my higher power. So I I did do exactly what she said, and now I'm at a healthy weight, and she's helped me figure out what I need to eat to maintain what I have. And when I do change my exercise around, I work with her, and she also helps me with that, with the food plan. But, you know, it's all a part of the disease cycle for me, whether it's restricting, compulsively doing anything, using anything, or do it just blocks me from my higher power and that is the only hope for me is to have that clear communication with my higher power so um i don't know if i really went into great specifics other than that the food plan has been so valuable and honestly following having a clean honest abstinence in every way and working closely with other compulsive overeaters that are recovered in steps 10 and 11 and of course sponsoring intensely that, that just has been such a lifesaver, and I am a new person. I am totally neutral. I don't have any of those things that are calling out to me because I am neutral, but they would come back in a heartbeat if I didn't stay surrendered to the program and to my steps and my higher power. But I also would love to talk to you afterward because I, I don't know if I'm really addressing it closely. I had to put all of it down, the behaviors, everything, the restricting, the secrecy, the not wanting to, whatever. I had to put it all down and I just surrendered because I want to get well. I don't want to die. So I would love to talk to you afterwards if you need more information. I pass. Thank you, Tamara C., for the question. Carol B., your turn to pose a question. Star 1 to unmute. Looking for Carol B. Carol B. Okay, perhaps you'll need to call back in if you're having difficulty. Jordan, Hello, this, yes. this, is, this is Carol. Am I coming oh, through? Yes, I hear you now. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry for the confusion. I don't think this is the right time and place, but I need some direction about finding a sponsor. Okay. Well, this right. This is not the time for that. Yeah. However, right. I will um, invite you to visit the website. Our okay. website: www.avisionforyou. Info. And on that website, you'll need to follow the clear-cut directions to register. Once you I, register, I, I you am re- registered. Okay, wonderful. So then you have access, of course, to numerous names at which you can contact. And I also invite you to uh, visit the Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. and 10 a.m. Eastern meetings, and there's an opportunity at the conclusion of those meetings to offer your name 
and contact number. Thank you so very much, and thanks for the uh, your service. It's been wonderful. My pleasure. Welcome, Carol B. Take care. Bye. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Jordan, Jordan L., L. Uh, I heard that you have a question. Are you on the line still able to pose that? Giving you an opportunity. I am. Can you hear me, Leah? Yep, I hear you. Good morning. My name is Jordan L. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. Um <clears throat> I, uh, Kelly was the one who I heard mention this, um, but um, <clears throat> I found this discussion very helpful. When I was new um, and <laughs> uh, pretty nervous about uh, abstinence and a food plan and putting it down and all that stuff. Um, so uh, Kelly had mentioned substitutes uh, and um, the need to set those aside. Um, and I found that very helpful because some of my last binges were on substitutes, and I, I truly didn't understand why I was eating this food um, because uh, uh, because I didn't even like it. It was stuff that, that I didn't even enjoy the taste of um, or find appealing in any way, shape, or form. Um, so uh, the, the doctor's opinion was an explanation um, it explained a lot of things I couldn't account for. Um, uh, so I was just wondering, I guess, if Kelly or any of the other panelists, if they want to jump in, can expound upon um, that discussion of substitutes. This is Kelly. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that was a really good one for me when I heard that question. Um, and that's one, too, that... I feel like, you know, it takes a lot of self-honesty because a lot of those substitutes are um, not what I would have thought were trigger foods or weren't on my red light foods. Um, But, you know, what I'm seeking, ease and comfort. And uh, one of the things for me that I would do um, for substitutes is uh, (laughs) go to like Whole Foods or something. And, you know, I'd be, if I find myself reading labels too much, um, which we read labels. I read labels all the time. So I don't want to say I don't read labels. I do. But what I'm doing is I'm looking for something else I can have uh, that is safe. You know, because I'm looking for something to give me that, that feel of, oh, okay. So, you know, one of those things, you know, I gave an example was protein bars. You know, there's some natural protein bars. There's people on the line. I know you guys can have protein bars and, and maybe that's something you could do. But, um, and I'd read the label and I'm like, okay, this is totally safe. But, you know, I was looking for something to give me that fix of maybe a candy bar or, you know, something similar to that. Or, um, you know, uh, there were some, some crackers that, uh, that we found that were from Costco and everything on there was technically safe on there. But I started finding myself working those crackers in to every one of my starches um, when I used to just do like whole grain brown rice or you know, Ezekiel bread, and this was legal, but I'm like, okay, I'm having this crackers because I'm looking for something to give me that feel of ease and comfort. I'm trying to substitute that. So, you know, those were some examples for me, um, you know, of of looking for things that I thought, okay, well, this is okay to eat, but no. And then the honesty is I knew what I was doing. You know, I'm going a little overboard with reading labels. I'm looking for something else. I'm I'm looking for that ease and comfort. And grateful today that I don't 
I don't want to get blocked. I'm starting to see that, oh my gosh, this is starting to kick in that, that obsession, that, that phenomenon of craving. I'm just wanting more and I don't want to feel that way today. And that that's a gift. But so those were just some examples there. So I hope that helps. I pass. Thank you so much, Jordan L., for the question. All right, we'll take perhaps three more questions this morning before we wrap up. Anyone? Freya H. Freya H. Margaret D. Margaret D. Stacy H. And Stacy H., is that correct? Yes. Okay, that's our three. Freya H., go right ahead. Others mute, please. Thank you. This is Freya H. in Colorado. Um, thank you so much. What a powerful presentation this morning. And my question is about um, how do we, any any experience, strength, and hope or wisdom about guiding others through this process, and especially when um, the sponsor or, a, you know, a protege is asking, well, what about this? You know, I'm not sure about this. You know, what what guidance can you offer them? And this, you know, um, anyone who, who feels inspired to answer it, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Thanks. Any of the panelists want to address this question, please? Um, Leah, I'll take a stab at that. Leslie, go right ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, with my sponsees, um, if there is a food or an item that they are bringing up a lot um, that could be troublesome for them um, or behavior, it doesn't really matter. I I encourage them to go without it for three days. Um, and if they can go without it happily, meaning they're not obsessing about it, they're not, it's not taking up space in their head, they're not negotiating about it, they're not defending their need to, or right to have it, then they can have it. But if they can't go through those three days without doing those things, I mean, I'd say when in doubt, leave it out. You know, um, uh, better to be safe than sorry, in my opinion, about those sorts of things. And so I just encourage them to give it a try for three days. And usually that's long enough, uh, a good indicator of whether or not it's a safe food for them. Pass. Thank you, Freya H., for your question. Margaret D., your turn. Good morning. May I be heard? I hear you well. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you, everybody on the panel, and thank you, Leah, for this presentation. It's really, it's really been so helpful. Um, my question is about the use of the um, yellow and red light foods. So, um, am I delusional? Am I telling myself that I can eat something that I'm allergic to? but I'm saying it's okay because it's a yellow light food? Or is this also a case of am I trying to control something that I've already lost control over, so I just call it a yellow light food? And then if I really, really can't control it, then it becomes a red light food. You know, and at that point, it's kind of like knocking me in the head, and so I'm like, oh, gosh, okay. Um, Thank you.
This is Kelly. I'd like to answer yes, that. Yes, Kelly, please go ahead. Um, so for me, it's just my opinion, the yellow light thing is that kind of thing, that delusional thinking that we can control and enjoy our eating. So it always comes down to this question for me. How free do I want to be? And if I am the real alcoholic, and that's what I, I had to decide, because, you know, maybe if you're just a hard eater, you can sometimes control those things, sometimes you can't. You know, some people have problems with eating and they can get those things under control and they can eat a little bit of them. But if I truly believe in the doctor's opinion that I have this allergy, this phenomenon of craving, you know, we hear this example all the time about penicillin, but, you know, I'm a medical provider, so I love that example. I don't have people come in, they have an allergy to penicillin, and I don't, I don't say to them, well, maybe this time we'll try a little bit. How about we just do half a dose of penicillin and see if it's the same thing? Um, I either have an allergy or I don't. So if those foods set up any kind of craving at any point, it becomes a red light food. And so, you know, I sit down with sponsees or myself or whatever, my yellow light foods are those ones I'm like, like I loved Leslie's response to that last question. If, if I'm thinking about it, it's taking up space in my head. Um, you know, I'm grieving over it. I can't imagine my life without it or Oh, well, sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. No, then, um, then that's a red light food. I don't, I don't play with yellow light foods throughout my abstinence. Once I realize I'm trying to control it, sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. That's just me. I have to call BS on myself and put it in my red light food because, I, again, how free do I want to be? Do I want to struggle in my head with sometimes I want to eat it, sometimes I don't, and today I, I want to be free, and with that I pass. Thank you, Margaret D., for the question. And our final question this morning comes from Stacy H. Yes. Um, my question is to the speaker who shared on liquids, and I was curious if she has boundaries around the liquids that she does drink, like if she has a plan for liquids. Okay. That was Lisa B. Yep. I'm here. Can you hear me okay? I, have I hear you well, you. Lisa had a little hiccup with my phone. Um, well, you know, that's a great question. Um, this is something I discovered when I, now that I'm recovered, I discovered it. And it was, um, I don't have like a food, uh, like a liquid plan. <laughs> I don't have a liquid plan, like I have a food plan. But it was an awareness I had of just like, why am I always wanting to have this drink of whether it be hot lemon water or at the time I was drinking tea bags all the time and um, I saw that I was getting compulsive with it and any compulsive behavior is me trying to, it's a self-seeking behavior, it's me trying to get an effect and ultimately that puts me in a very dangerous place, anything. It's a disability being an addict of any kind when I start to use something to give me an effect, whether it's shopping or sex or spending or hoarding or anything and I could be doing it with liquids which sounds crazy so um, I just became aware of it and I said you know what I don't want to I don't want to keep doing that and I prayed about it and because I have a relationship with power thanks to these 12 steps done in, in abstinence that was the key that really did it for me um, I just got the nudge. I really think it was my higher power nudging me, so now I don't do that. I mean, I still drink 
eight or ten glasses of water a day and, you know, I don't dehydrate myself. But um, I'm just not obsessive about always having some sort of a beverage in my hand walking around with a beverage in my hand. I just am not always doing that. I just felt like it was compulsive. And, and that's the wonderful thing about getting recovered. You know, the 12 steps can solve all my problems. And having that clarity through the steps, um, I saw it. I released it. I asked God to help me. And I guess if it became more and more of a problem, I would have started to commit probably to a fellow, yes, and, and really gone into a deeper surrender. But it was able to stop at that point. It was just an awareness. So I hope that answers it for you. I pass. Thank you, Stacey H., for the question. Thank you to all those who posed questions this morning. So very helpful. And thank you to our panelists this morning, Lisa B., Kelly S., and Leslie W., for giving so much of yourselves this morning, sharing with us your personal experience regarding separating from trigger foods, ingredients, substances, and eating behaviors. It's been extremely informative and helpful this morning, so thank you so very much. Today's share ID, 13,610. That's 13610. And we will close now from page 164. You'll notice it's from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.